Now then, let me just say this. With what we're studying here about how God was fulfilling things with bringing the Jews back out of captivity, that it shows that God will work with the people. And also, if you look at the war that's going on, there's great significance in this, as I mentioned, and have covered, because the end result of this will be the finalizing of the Abraham Accord, where there is peace between the Arab nations and the Jews, and the building of the temple in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, there was a time when all of these things leading up to the Jews being carried off into captivity into to Babylon, that God sent Jeremiah and Ezekiel and some of these other prophets that we will see. We will see that Zephaniah was sent in that time period before they were taken captive. So let's see the summary of this written by Ezra in Second Chronicles. Okay? Second Chronicles. Now, it's very important with the Bible in its original order because the Old Testament ends with what is called the Book of Chronicles. And it was originally one book. And that book starts out with genealogy, 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 genealogy. Why? Because this shows the legal reason for what God is doing and through whom God is doing it and why God is doing it. Now, when you come to Second Chronicles 36 and you turn to the next page, next two pages, first chapter of Matthew. Now, it's very interesting how this is written, see, because what Matthew is doing, he's establishing the legal genealogy from David, Abraham, down to Christ. Because, see, the whole Bible from Genesis 15 is based upon the covenant that God made with Abraham there in Genesis 15. So in Matthew, the first chapter, since we're there, the book of Matthew, uh, the, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, then it lists all of the genealogies coming right on down to when Christ was born. Now, this is important to show that Christ, in his physical lineage, was a fulfillment of the prophecies that God had given to Abraham and then later to David. Okay. Now, let's come back to Second Chronicles 36, and let's read this, because this is a summary of what happened 
just before they were taken off into captivity. And then that sets the stage for them coming back out of captivity and what God would do with them and how he dealt with them. So let's pick it up, Second Chronicles, verse 10. And when the year had ended, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon, that is, the king, with the valuable vessels of the Lord. Now, I don't know how many have been watching William Shatner and Mysteries of the Unexplained. Now, they've been running periodically about the Ark of the Covenant. Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? Whoever has it has power. Well, if you're not a Levite, and if you're not of the house of Aaron, it's going to kill you. Even though different ones wanted to get it because they could read the Bible, and when God won the battle for them. The Ark of the Covenant was present with them. But they forget to read about the part in 1 Samuel when the priests were corrupt, the high priest and the two sons. Okay. Eli and then Hophius and and Phinehas. Okay. They went out to battle against the Philistines and lost. So they said, well, if we get the Ark and take it out ahead of us, we'll win. Now think of this. Even though they were the ones who were authorized to handle it, but their sins prevented them from doing what they should have done. So what happened? And this is what they never read. And one other scripture they don't read They went out with the battle of the Philistines, and they were slaughtered. Both sons were killed in the battle, and the messenger who came back to tell Eli what happened to them, he said, your sons have died, and the Philistines have taken the ark. And Eli fell over and hit his head on a rock and died to fulfill the prophecy that both Eli and his two sons would die the same day. Now, what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? See, because it says here in verse 10, with the valuable vessels of the house of the Lord. Now, they have a detailed summary of, of everything that the Babylonians took from Jerusalem. Written in cuneiform, in clay. Guess what was missing? The Ark of the Covenant. Okay, now let's go back to the Philistines. When they had the Ark of the Covenant, they got it, and they thought they would have great power. 
So they took and they put it in the house of their god, Dagon. And then that night, God made Dagon fall down as if he was worshiping God because the Ark of the Covenant was right in front of him. And his hands fell off. So they set him back upright where he should be. And then the next night, he fell down and his head was severed. What did God do? God was showing, I'm coming after you Philistines for taking the ark. But he wanted them to learn a lesson. No one is going to take the ark without consequences. Since God wanted them to learn a lesson, what did he do? Now think about this. He multiplied millions of mice covering the whole land of the Philistines and everyone got hemorrhoids. Now, you talk about a plague. So what did they do? They said, we got to get rid of the ark. We got to get rid of the ark. So they didn't know what to do with it. Okay. Now then, they went to the priest of Dagon and they they were inspired to say, well, make an offering to God of gold, of golden mice and golden hemorrhoids and put them in a brand new cart and send it toward Israel and get it out of here. Okay. Because the Consequences look pretty dire. If mice and hemorrhoids are the start of the plague, what would be the finish of them? Okay. So the ark went forward to the house of Kirjath-Jerim, who was a Levite. And it remained there 20 years until David took it to Jerusalem. Now, why do I go through all of this? To answer the question, and none of them will go to the Bible to find out where the ark is. They say it's in South Africa. They say it's in Spain. They say it's in Ethiopia. They say it's in the basement of the Vatican. And they don't know where it is. Now, you can't tell the Jews where it is because they don't believe in the New Testament. You can't tell the Catholics where it is because they like to to play secret and let everyone think that they have it, but they don't have it. Now, since all of the expensive vessels of the temple were noted and recorded by Nebuchadnezzar, the ark wasn't there. So everybody thinks, well, Jeremiah took it below the temple and buried it. Well, they've been looking, looking, looking. They've even had the Knights of Templars for over a hundred years digging tunnels and caves in, in Jerusalem to try and find the ark. Okay? Can't find it. They're still digging them. They're still looking. 
They can't find it. But it's right in front of their nose if they would read one scripture in a book of Revelation. Okay, so let's read it. Revelation 11 tells us where the Ark of the Covenant is. Now, how do we know that the Ark of the Covenant is there? Revelation 11. Since they can't find it any place on the earth, since it wasn't mentioned in the, the valuable things that went from Jerusalem to Babylon, nor was it mentioned in all of the treasures that the Romans took in in 70 AD when they destroyed the temple. So where is the ark? God tells us. Now what is the ark? The ark is a copy of things in heaven. Right? To have it in the holy of holies of the temple. Now in Revelation 4 and 5, what do we see? We see the throne of God, and we see an outline of God himself and Jesus Christ, but no Ark of the Covenant where the throne is. Don't need it because God is there. Okay? But let's read Revelation 11, the last verse. And the temple of God in heaven was opened. That means could see. And the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Some place in the temple was the ark of the covenant. How did it get there? Well, God probably sent a couple of angels to take it up there during the days of Jeremiah so it wouldn't be taken captive over into Babylon. See? But greedy, lustful men for power want it so they can win wars. Even Hitler and Himmler wanted to get it so they could win the war. Can you imagine what would have happened if they would have found it and all the nation of the Germans had mice and hemorrhoids? <laughs> okay, okay. And the Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple. Okay? That's where it is. That answers the question, where is the Ark of the Covenant? Safely stored with God. So all of these men digging tunnels, collecting money, getting government expenditures to do it, looking for the Ark, we're going to find it. We're going to have power. We're going to be something great. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Now, we can predict this. The Jews will find an ark. But it will be one that they have made and planted to make it look like they found the ark of the covenant when they established the third temple. And what we're going to cover will be the things concerning the coming temple. So let's go ahead and take a break and we'll come back.
Now let's continue on with the rebuilding of the second temple. But that ties in with the destruction of the first temple. So let's come back to Second Chronicles 36 and let's read it. Second Chronicles 36 and verse 10. And when the year had ended, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the valuable vessels of the house of the Lord. And he made his brother Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem that was in place of Jeconiah. Okay. Now verse 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. So God gave them another 11 years. See? So this shows how dedicated to evil that they were. You read all of the book of Jeremiah. They never listened to Jeremiah. They didn't quit their sacrificing of children. They didn't quit their breaking of the Sabbath. Okay. Now, after Zedekiah was put there, verse 12, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. So Jeremiah was right there through the last invasion. There were three invasions by Nebuchadnezzar over a 20-year period. Okay. And he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, and he made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, the chief of the priest and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. Now think about this for just a minute. What did it take for them to learn? Let's ask the question today for America. We see all the things going on that are going on here, likewise with the Jews in in the area of Jerusalem. What will it take for them to humble themselves? Because God would lift the hand of correction if there were genuine repentance. But there isn't. Okay. And they polluted the house of the Lord, which he had made holy in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent word to them by his messengers. And we'll see it again. Zephaniah was one of them. Okay. Again and again. For he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God. They despised their words and distreated his his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was against the people until there was no remedy. So God waited till there was to the last thing. And he caused the king of the Chaldeans to go up against them. And he killed their choice men by the sword in the house 
of their sanctuary and had no pity upon the young men and the virgin, not on the old man and the very aged. He gave all into his hand. Now, that's the same thing we're seeing today with Israel right now in America. There's no pity any place. Who's turning to God? Where are the religious leaders? Where are the Protestants? Where are the Catholic priests? Where are the Jewish rabbis? Huh? Now, notice verse 18 to tie back into the first part of my message. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his rulers, he brought all these to Babylon. Okay? Nothing about the Ark of the Covenant. And they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces of of it with fire, destroyed all the beautiful vessels, and the ones who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons, until the reign of the king of Persia. Okay? Now here's where we start, the beginning of the return back to Jerusalem and then back to starting to build the second temple, which some of the things of the prophecies we will see apply to today in the building of the coming third temple. Okay. Until the reign of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days of the desolation, it kept the Sabbath uh, to the full measure of 70 years. Now, the 70 years is calculated beginning with the first removal of Jews from Babylon from the first year of the 20 years of invasion. Okay, so that made it 607 or 606 somewhere around there, B.C. But the temple was not finished until 515 B.C. Then the temple and everything there lasted clear on down to Christ. And a lot of the things that we find in Zechariah have to do with that time of peace after they got the temple built. So we'll see that in a little bit. So that makes us wonder, with this Abraham Accord, is there going to be peace so the Jews can build the temple? And remember when the temple is finished and the, and the sacrifices are started, bang, right in the middle of the seven-year period, then the king of the north is going to come against the king of the south. Now, we'll see all of that. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, okay? Then it says here, verse 22, And in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord 
by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, to all the kingdoms of the earth, that is, within the realm of his suzerainty, have been given to me by the Lord God. And he commanded me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord, his God, be with him and let him go up. Okay, now then, let's come back here to the book of Daniel, Daniel 9, okay? And again, Daniel 9 has to do with all of the prophecies to take place from that time forward to the return of Christ, okay? And they are all contained in... Daniel, the ninth chapter. Now, I've got, I've got this, this special setup for you that Carl Franklin did in bringing all of this together so you have a picture of what takes place. And I'll have Ron put it up online for you. Now, let's come to chapter 9, book of Daniel, and verse 1. Cyrus came, he made the declaration. Then he had to go on battle to fight against the Greeks. So then his cousin Darius the Mede was put in charge of Babylon. Verse 1, chapter 9, Daniel. In the first year of Darius, king of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years which came according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay? So what he did. Now notice, this becomes important. Whenever God is going to raise us up out of difficult times, we must fast and pray and come to God. So that's what he did. And you can read all of his prayer. No prayer like this given by any of the kings, by any of the priests. So he was beseeching God, confessing their sins. So I'll let you read all of it, okay? So let's come here. Let's come here and see how God answered it. Okay. Let's pick it up here in verse 17. Just see the ending of his prayer. And now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of your servant in his supplication and cause your face to shine upon the sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. 
Now, this also tells us something. When people don't repent, the devastation becomes worse. Always does. Verse 18. So he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see. Behold our desolation in the city, which is called by your name. For we do not. Now listen to this. How do we come to God? Okay. How, when you're in deep trouble, do you come to God? So he hears your prayer. You don't come to God and say, God, you've been doing all of this to me for a long time. How about if you let up a little bit? Okay. (laughs) No. Notice what he says here. For we do not present our supplication before you on account of our righteousness, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Do not delay for your own sake. O my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now notice what that kind of prayer does. God will hear. This is important because it's written down. And this tells us what God is going to do. Verse 20. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even one, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision in the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly to me about the time of the evening sacrifice. Okay? So here God is directly answering Daniel. And this becomes one of the important key prophecies from here all the way through Daniel 12. Because this covers the return back to Jerusalem the raising up of Judea again. It covers the time from that time right on down to Christ. And then from Christ right on down to the time of the end in chapter 12. Okay. Now verse 22. And he, that is Gabriel, made me to understand and talk with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the word went forth, and I have come to declare it, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now then, it's very interesting. Did Daniel understand the vision? No. That was a prophecy for those who would read it later when they could understand what was happening. Okay. Seventy weeks are determined upon your people. 
upon your holy city. Now notice what it includes. This goes all the way to the establishing of the kingdom of God on earth. Okay? And it covers when the Messiah would appear. And then it jumps ahead to the last seven years. So we will see there are three periods of time with space in between. And you will find with what Carl Franklin has written up concerning Daniel 11, which is one of the most difficult to understand in the whole Bible. Well, Carl has gone through history and has solved the problem of all of Daniel 11. So I'll get that up here pretty quick as well. Okay. Seventy weeks are decreed against your people. Now these weeks are this. Each week has seven days. Each day is then a year. Okay? So each week is equivalent to seven years. But the key that's important here is it doesn't tell you the space between these three segments of time. So Carl has that all taken care of. That'll be posted online plus the book, Jesus the Messiah, The Appointed Times. The Appointed Times of Jesus the Messiah. Because it tells us very closely to when he would come. So let's read the vision. Okay. Seventy weeks are decreed upon your people, upon your holy city, to finish the transgression. Bring sin to an end. Make an end of sin. Now, where does that go to? Where does that go to? That goes clear to the lake of fire and the removal of Satan. See, So this covers a great period of time. Make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness. What is everlasting righteousness? New heavens, new earth, correct? Isn't that it? Is there any a time that we would have everlasting righteousness on the earth before the coming of New Jerusalem? Answer, no. Because as long as there are human beings, and as long as there are choices, and as long as there is sin, you don't have, a, you don't have an end to sin, okay? And you don't have everlasting righteousness. To seal up the vision and the prophecy to anoint the most holy. 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem to the Messiah shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The book we have, the appointed times of Jesus Messiah, the Messiah tells you exactly how all of that fell. And the end of the 62 weeks comes to a time just before the birth of Christ. Okay? To Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, 62 weeks. It shall be built again with streets and walls, even in troublous times. Now that's the first week. Forty-nine years. And that's what the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are all about. And tied into that then is also part of Zephaniah and the book of Haggai and many parts of the book of Zechariah. Now, some prophecies that have been taught to apply to the end in those books apply directly to the time when the temple was finished and the time leading up to the Messiah. So it gets really complicated here. This is why you need to get that material, okay? And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary But his end shall be with the flood unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Okay. So then here's the last week. How close are we to the last week? Well, he tells us what's going to happen. Verse 27. And he shall make a covenant with many for one week. Now, how that comes about. Is the Abraham Accord that covenant? And when does the covenant take effect? When a few of the nations of the Arabs sign up with it to establish relations with the Jews. And remember the clause is in there to build the temple. Or must it wait until all the Arab nations sign up on the Abraham Accord. And then they have permission to start building the temple. Now, in the letter that's coming out in November, I explain what it is that God will show to the Jews the sign of when they should begin building the temple and where to build it. Because the temple is was never where the Mosque of Omar is now located. As we've said many times, that was the area of Fort Antonio, Roman property. And 600 yards to the south is where the temple was. Now, to give you a hint of it, the temple had a constant flow of water. 
that was necessary to keep things clean. That was necessary for the sacrifices. And that was necessary as a type of living water coming out from the throne of God. Now, how did that water get there? There's what is called the Gihon Springs. And even today, there's water flowing in the Gihon Springs. But they know that the source of it goes hundreds of miles north up into the mountains. And that's where the water comes from. Okay? And that it comes down and it comes up like this and comes down again. So this point is higher than the point of the temple. So when the water starts flowing, that then will push the water up to the pavement where the temple is. And that's how it was when the temple was operating. Okay? So all of those things are consideration in building the temple. Okay? Now, verse 27 again. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and offering to cease. Now, we have that same thing in Daniel, the 12th chapter, about cutting off the sacrifices. Now, we have in the Daniel and Revelation series, We have a chart showing all of that. So it's important that you get those things. It's important that you read those things. Okay? Not just skim them, not just have a superficial understanding, but realize what it actually is. Okay? And upon the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate even until... The consummation, that means the end of the age. Now, what is that desolation? Jesus said, when you see the abomination standing in the holy place, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, okay? When the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., That never happened. And we know from the prophecy in Revelation 11 that there has to be a temple. So in order for this to happen, there must be a temple built. Now, what is the desolation? The desolation is 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of sin, the son of perdition, goes into the holy place, and says he is God. Now we know that that happens just before Jesus Christ returns. How do we know? Because 2 Thessalonians says that Christ is going to destroy him with the power of his mouth by his commanding them to be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so that's the end. So the consummation here All of these other details come together and come to the last seven years. Now, we're getting close to the seven years, okay? 
Then it says here, And a fully determined, which is decreed, shall be poured out upon the desolate. Okay? It's going to happen. Now then, let's look at the book of Zephaniah. Now, Russell Kemp gave a very nice summary of the book of Zephaniah, so I'm just going to cover some some uh, chapters, not chapters, but verses in the first chapter, rather, to show that this had to do with the time when they came back out of a prophecy when they would come back out of Babylon and rebuild the temple. All right? There we go. Zephaniah. All right. Chapter 1. Okay. So this was given in the days of Josiah. So this is a prelude that came before they went off into captivity into Babylon. And it tells you why. Now in this chapter... There is nothing that, it, that comes to the end of the age necessarily. Okay? Chapter 1, verse 1. Book of Zephaniah. The word of the, of the Lord came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of uh, Amariah, son of Ezekiah, that is Hezekiah, rather, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. Now, how long did Josiah reign? Josiah reigned 31 years. And then three months for the next one. And then Zedekiah reigned for 11 years. Okay. So this was given some 33 years before they went to Babylon so you add 70 years to that, so it's about 100 years before it took place. Okay? So let's read it. Here's what he said he would do. Okay? And he did it. When God says he's going to do something, he will do it. Verse 2, I will utterly consume all things from the face of the earth. Now, that's not the whole earth. This is the earth around the area and the countries surrounding Judea. Okay, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of heaven, fish of the sea, and the stumbling block with the wicked. I will cut off from man, from off the face of the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon all the people of Jerusalem. Okay? That's the devastation that took place before they were carried off into captivity. Okay? So God again gave another prophet. Okay? And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place the name of the idolatrous priest with the priest and those worshiping the host of heaven upon the housetops and those worshiping and swearing to the Lord also, swearing by Malcolm or Milcom rather, and those who have turned away from the Lord and who have not sought the Lord nor ask of him. 
Be silent before the face of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at hand. The day is appointed a, the Lord is appointed a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guest. Okay. Now then, that's against the Jews in Judah. Now, it's not at the end time. Part of it could be applied a little later, but this is mostly right at the time leading up to their first captivity. Okay. Now, verse 8. And it shall be in the day of the Lord, uh, the day of the Lord, of, of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the rulers and the king's children and all who are clothed with strange garments. Now, that's what he did. And in that day, I will punish all those who leap over the thresholds, who fill their masters' houses with violence and deceit. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, the sound of a cry from the fish gate and a howling from the second quarter and a great crashing from the hills. Okay, so that's again showing the destruction. Now when they come back, all right, let's come to the book of Ezra, okay? That just before Chronicles, you have going backward, you have Second Chronicles, First Chronicles, Nehemiah, then Ezra. Okay. Now let's look at them coming back to the area of Judea. Okay. Now we see the same thing. We see it emphasized here. The decree that went out was by Cyrus the king, which we covered in prophecy in the book of Isaiah, which was 150 years before he was even born. Okay. So let's come here to chapter 1 and verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying. Now, it's very important that this was in writing because the adversaries of the Jews and the Samaritans who were there trying to keep the Jews from building the city and building the temple were coming and fighting against them all the time. And they had to appeal back to Darius for Darius in Babylon to look up the decree that Cyrus had made and signed, and they found it. Okay? So you can read that in other chapters of Ezra here. So here's what he wrote. Verse 2. Thus says the king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, isn't that something that a man not converted knew that God gave him all the kingdoms that he conquered? And you read the prophecy of how he conquered Babylon. I mentioned that last week. They diverted to Euphrates. The water came down. 
the troops walked in, the gates were open, and Belshazzar was having a great feast, mocking God and drinking out of the vessels from the temple. And then there was written on on the wall by the hand, many, many tinkle you sarfarin, which is your days have come to an end. They're numbered. They're over. And Cyrus walked in, took over the whole city of Babylon, the whole kingdom of the Chaldeans, without so much as throwing a spear. Quite a thing. Okay. There it is. The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. That is all that he controlled. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whosoever, therefore, is among you of all your your people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remains in in any place where he resides, let the men of his place help him with silver, with gold, with goods, with animals, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Now then, only 40,000 people went up. All right? Small group. You can read in chapter 2 about the children of the people all the way through the, uh, the priests, the singers, and everything. Okay? Now then, you can read all the rest of the book of Ezra. Now what I want you to do is come to the book of Haggai. Book of Haggai because... Here's another prophet that God used and for building the temple. Now, Haggai and Zechariah were contemporary. Okay. Now, we don't know what's going to happen when the Jews start building the temple in Jerusalem. Maybe there are some parallels here. It is also known that there are some Jews who say, no, don't build the temple. Okay. And that was happening during the days of Haggai. Haggai the prophet, page 691 in the faithful version. Okay, page 691. All right. Let's see what happened. Since it was difficult and the adversary stopped them building the house for a while, until they got word back from Darius after reading the decree of Cyrus that they were to build. Okay. Now notice the timing, verse 1, Haggai. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, okay, because they had stopped building. 
And when they got the decree verified, then also they were granted money, animals, help to build the temple. Okay. So let's see what happened to the people. Now, we can learn a lesson from this today. Okay. So let's read it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, speak saying, the people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then word of the, of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your finished houses? So instead of building the house of God first, they were building theirs. And shall my house lay waste? And now, therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Now, he says that several times. So they had to consider their ways. Now, we'll learn a lesson here from the first chapter, and we'll finish for today with the first chapter. But this is the lesson of the first chapter. Stop and think about what you are doing. Okay? Consider your ways. You have sown much but bring in a little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You dress, but no one is warm. He that earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. So what were they having? Same thing we have today. What do we have today? Inflation. Doesn't that seem like so? Yep. You go to the store to buy what you want to buy, and all of a sudden you have to pay so much for it, it's like your your purse had a hole and the money fell out of it. Okay? Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. This is what we need to do today. There are a lot of things and a lot of obstacles that keep us from helping to build up the church and build up the people in the church and excuses that are given. We can't have any excuses at all, okay? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So God says, go up to the mountain, bring wood, build this house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, said the Lord. What is the lesson for us today? Lesson for us today is simple. Take care of growing and overcoming and building your relationship with God every day first. First. Then God will take care of the rest in blessing you. All right? You look for much, behold, it came to little. And when you brought it in, I blew upon it. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house, which is waste, and you, each man, runs to his own house. Okay? And then it says, therefore the heavens above doesn't have rain or dew. The earth is held back from its fruit. In other words, here's what we'll finish with this lesson for today for us. When we put God first, God will intervene and help us take care of the things that we need, okay? 
And this is what we need to do as a church. While we have the time, while we have the funds, prepare all the things that we need to help new people. And if we do that, God will send them. But if we don't do that, then they won't come. All right? Let's go ahead and end here, and we'll pick up and take a little bit more of the book of Haggai and learn the lesson for us, and then we'll get into to Zechariah.